Hello, relatives. Adrian here. Welcome back to another episode of All My Relations. We're so happy you're here. And today I'm very excited because we get to start a series of something that's a little bit different for us. We have some live episodes to share with you. Um, and so Matika, do you want to share with us how all of this came about? Hi, relatives. Matika here. I'm really happy to be here with you. And thanks for joining us on another episode. So for this episode and the next few, uh, we are going to be sharing work from Santa Monica College. The live recordings came about because I did this year-long artist-in-residency at the college led by the one and only Emily Silver, which resulted in this massive 72 two-piece exhibition at the gallery on campus called the Barrett Gallery. And it'll actually be up until June if you want to see it. And it's this really uh, special exhibition because the entire project was developed by students. We had a cohort of amazing, dedicated, passionate students who were the first to read my manuscript. And then from that, they selected photos, they printed them, they built walls, they curated a show. And then together, we put together this programming, which included an Indigenous film festival. So during the two days of the film festival, we did live podcasting for the students to attend. And this episode was made on campus during that time. And so, I mean, the students did so much, Adrian. They even, like, worked on building the set for this podcast, (laughs) you know, like with a hammer and a nail and everything. (laughs) So I really couldn't be more proud of the students. And I'm thrilled to be sharing this content with you. When I started dreaming it all up, I called Sterling, who's on this episode, and he helped me to curate the film festival and also agreed to come on the pod. And he really is just like the best. (laughs) So I hope that all of you guys enjoy the laughter and the banter with Ryan Redcorn. You know, it is a little different than our more narrative style of podcasting, but I just love it all the same. Yeah, the whole event was so amazing. And truly, the students worked so hard to pull this together. And it was so fun to talk with Ryan and Sterling. So for this conversation, we're talking with the one and only Sterling Harjo, filmmaker and showrunner for the hit FX show Reservation Dogs, as well as Ryan Redcorn, filmmaker, photographer, and writer for Reservation Dogs. They're also just our friends and homies from way back. So we really hope you enjoy us trying to hold it together and not bust up into laughter every two seconds. Enjoy. Sorry. We are so thrilled to have our uh, longtime friends, our esteemed, our esteemed, esteemed colleagues. colleagues. Steamy. Uh, <laughs> Steamy armpit. Sterling Arjo and Ryan Redcorn. Um, so let's get into it. I'm really happy to be here with all of you today with uh, these two fine looking fellows from Oklahoma. I love the way they draw around. <laughs> Drawl. Drawl. Is that a word? I love the way these guys talk. So you're really, I get excited. I'm excited uh, to have Ryan Redcorn and Sterling Harjo here with us today. I'm going to read just a small, tiny bit before I let you introduce yourself. Ryan has a really long uh, We edited it. Bio. (laughs) It was like on on the text message screen. He said, 
Ryan sent me an essay about his life for me to read to you guys. And um, we tried. You're not going to get that here, though. <laughs> I've been censored. <laughs> I lit it on fire before I came in here. Sterling Smudge Harjo. <laughs> Is Seminole in Muskogee. He's a writer, director, and filmmaker. Sterling uh, made incredible films like Four Sheets to the Wind, Barking Water, the documentary This May Be the Last Time. He also made Nico and Love and Fury, which KP is in, and is the co-creator of the FX hit series Reservation Dogs. Hey! Hello. 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 Hi. Oh, does that mean I have to read Ryan's? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, we shorten it. We also have Ryan Redcorn, who is Osage from Oklahoma. He's the co-founder of the all-indigenous comedy troupe, the 1491s, along with, with Sterling. Sterling. Uh, is the co-owner of Buffalo Nickel Creative, the director of the 2019 West Duty Governors Awards tribute film for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and a Paramount Plus take action film on the Keystone XL Pipeline. In 2021, he directed a documentary for PBS's Road Trip Nation and joined the Reservation Dogs Writers Room for season two. His new film, Dead Bird Hearts, uh, screened last night at the AMR Film Festival and just won, it just says best original screenplay for something. Humble, probably for this film festival. Y'all didn't know that this film festival was handing out awards, but I just but won. That's the most humble, <laughs> the most humble bio ever. But welcome, both of you. Yes, welcome. Uh, welcome to all my relations. He also found out yesterday that he has a rare disorder <laughs> called exploding head syndrome. Yeah. Go- Google like, it. Yeah. He says. But like, actually. I, I put my head back together before this interview, so hopefully it still works. It's Ooh. a rare disorder where you hear a gong go off in your head. <laughs> As you're about to go to sleep, and then your body wiggles. Yeah. And then it's, it's over. It's not Like, fatal. we're laughing, but this actually happened. Yeah. I was really... And then in Reservation Dogs, sorry for interrupting, but in Reservation Dogs, uh, Big, who is played by Zahn, has a disorder called Mariokioki, where he sh- or has to take a sh- every time he goes into an old library. Uh, and that's literally from Ryan. Like, yeah. he has this disorder. Yeah. I know I'm not alone. Is that true, Ryan? Yeah. When you go into a library, it's, the old, it's like library, the spirits of the old books. The library or a bookstore. Yeah. I'm gonna every struggle time. With this every time. Every time. Does it like start immediately? Yeah. No, it's like two or three minutes. So kind of. You have two or three minutes to get out. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. Two like or three really minutes to find the O. Important in information. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. This is gonna be the whole episode. Oh, I know. I know. There's gonna be a lot of go ahead, Adrian. A lot of. <laughs> Adrian, bring us back together. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Um, in fact, I'd like to to start, if that's okay. Um, you do whatever you want. It's your podcast. <laughs> yeah. All my relations. Yeah. So this morning, in preparation for our conversation, I was thinking back to the first time that I met Sterling was in 2010. Um, and I had just started Native Appropriations, my blog. And so I was like graduate student, blogging away about misrepresentations, had no idea what I was talking about, like learning as I was going. And I was in Oklahoma visiting family. I was going to go to stomp dances for the first time. It was like a very exciting trip. And Sterling messaged me and was like, hey, you want to grab coffee? Like, I'd love to talk with you about what you're doing. So we sat at this coffee shop and I actually recorded the conversation because I was thinking that I would make a blog post out of it. I never did. Sorry. Um, But the 1491s, which 
most some of y'all are maybe too young for like the 1491s moment but like some of you i'm seeing some nods in the audience of like the 1491s the sketch comedy group that um sterling and ryan um are a part of was so foundational for so many of us of being able to see ourselves reflected in, on youtube yeah on youtube like in these funny shorts and so the um By see yourself you mean me naked <laughs> ryan half yeah. clothed Gyrating in a headdress, yes. Um, That's where his uh, exploding brain head syndrome started. Started there. Started there. <laughs> um, so we're chatting at this coffee shop about the 1491s, about things, and Sterling manifested what he is doing now. And it is so cool to listen to because in the interview, you're like, we're chatting about the power of native made media. And you say at one point, I just want to make comedy. And I have not really been allowed to um, so far. Like the things that get funded are not comedy. I just want to make a comedy about folks in Oklahoma. And you say, I'm very into regionalism. I really am into Oklahoma. If I can stay here, if I can do work here, that's what I want to do. And then we talk about how it feels like the streaming platforms are going to be the way of the future. And maybe that's going to be what works for us as Native folks. We were ahead of the curve. Yeah. And so now, 12 years later, to know Reservation Dogs exists, we are in this moment of Native film and TV that is just unfathomable to the two of us sitting there at the, Mm -hmm. the coffee shop. So... Yeah, I just wanted to like tell that story to open us because it's been an amazing decade mm-hmm. to to see this growth. Yeah. Yay! Yeah, it's pretty wild to think of like all of the connections and how we met and all of that. Like I remember the coffee. I remember also um uh I think that we got coffee in Boston or something or Cambridge or something at one point. And then you and I traveled across the country a couple times. Uh, I think I met you in Seattle. Um, you can't miss Matika for her laugh. <laughs> you could hear it on the other coast. <laughs> and my goal is to just make her laugh today. Uh, we're going to try to cast her at Reservation Dogs. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is crazy. It's like, um, you know, I, for me, like with Reservation Dogs, I just always wanted to do a project like that. I didn't know that I'd ever be allowed to or supported to. Um, and I was always afraid that like, I don't know, like I was always afraid that the wrong projects would get made. Mm-hmm. And and it would feed into like the lie of like what native people are, you know, and I think that like just showing us for who we are and truthfully and like showing Willie Jack and she's wearing slides and basketball shorts and like, um, you know, characters like that. I think that I mean, like Uncle Brownie, like he loves smoking weed. It was like <laughs> we were sort of hiding. I think people were, like I think a lot of people like especially underrepresented whenever you make a show or something, you want to kind of put your best foot forward and, and, and hide a bit of like the truth, which is like the opposite of what you should do, I think, for other people to relate to it. Because I think people identify and relate to the truth, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm really grateful to be able to do that and bring people like Ryan along, who's been <laughs> an old friend and real poor. He's a real poor guy. <laughs> Just to get him paid. Yeah. <laughs> poverty my whole life yeah. <laughs> till I met Sterling he still shops at like the Dollar Tree too like you know. so do I yeah <laughs> Sterling is a manifester though because when we did a we did a TV or a radio show with uh, Native American Calling mm. 
and was the April Fool's deal was like still to this oh, yeah. day is like one of the most favorite things we ever did. And Sterling called in as like the oh, yeah. o- o- like overly egotistical like Hollywood version no. of himself as like before Reservation Dogs, and he's like, I don't do nothing. I sleep on a bed of money. I don't. I don't get up. He's like saying all this stuff. Nicely you're saying I manifested that? Yeah, I you manifested that. Sleep on a bed of money. <laughs> <laughs> At at that time though, earlier than that though, like I remember when Barking Waters was traveling around, and uh, your gas got shut off or something, and he came up and stayed on my couch. I was editing; I could see my breath because it was so cold (laughs) in my place. And he's like, "Man, just come stay with me." So I went stay with Ryan for a little bit. One time, Ryan and I were about to take a photo. Shane Brown was taking our photo because they were doing a story on the 1491s. And we drove up, and I noticed an electric company sitting in the parking lot of the um, of the apartment complex, but I didn't think anything. We went inside, and Shane Brown set up all these lights. It was me, Ryan, and his daughter, and set up all these lights. We were about to take the photo. Right as he's about to take the photo, all the lights go off. And um, <laughs> Shane just, like, walked over and grabbed the uh, curtain to the sliding door and opened the window. He goes, well, this is going to be a natural lit shot. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I, I want to go back to what you just said about telling true stories, though, because as I was struggling with writing the book, I would check in with these guys, you know, and people did these really long interviews with me, like, you know, three hour interviews. I would want to cut out like all the parts where people are talking about things that wouldn't necessarily paint us in the right light, you know, as Native people, because we're so sensitive about the way that we're depicted, because for so long, we weren't depicted. And if we were, it was done by white folks, and it was done in a way that was really, you know, stereotypical and degrading. And so we feel like this responsibility, then it's a tremendous responsibility. It's like you have to do it in a good way that's not going to damage the progress, so to speak. Sterling would tell me, like, you just have to be honest. You just have to tell true stories. You just have to be honest. And then there would be times I'd, like, call Ryan, like, sobbing, you know, like, I don't think I could do this. And Ryan, Ryan what do you mean, Matika? You could do it, you know? But, like, that was my Ryan. Yeah. That was pretty good. Thanks, yeah. But, uh... Walk it off, Matika. <laughs> Walk it off, Matika. But it really actually was very impactful for me and very helpful. And watching Reservation Dogs be honest for everybody to see and then watching it win all of the accolades mm-hmm. and people, like, really respond to it in a really powerful way and for me like the powerful way for me is like when I'm walking around the res like on Halloween a couple days ago that was a couple days ago and uh, (laughs) and there was like 40 kids on my res dressed up as Willie Jack and I just like started bawling you know like eating candy (laughs) you know because it was just like wow like our kids have their own heroes now right I never had that as when I was a kid. When I was growing up, I had to try to look more white and try to be more skinny and try to be shorter and smaller and less loud. And those kids don't have to feel like that. Mm -hmm. And that's so incredibly powerful and moving. I mean, one of the coolest things for me was seeing a young Native girl dress up as Willie Jack or as, as Paulina Alexis, who plays Willie Jack at the Emmys. Like that was oh. cool because it was it was beyond um, a character, and it was her favorite actor, you know. And like dressing up in this moment, um, in this yellow dress that her favorite actor was dressed up in at the Emmys. I just thought that was really um, powerful. And I mean, like I I still get images all the time of like people that are dressed up like those characters. And obviously, you don't plan for that. Like we didn't plan for it. Like all I did was like 
decide to like really swing for the fences because I didn't, I wasn't making a good living making film. And it was like, all right, Taika helped give me this opportunity to make this show for FX. And FX goes hard. Like I love Atlanta. Um, and it was like, how can we do the same thing, you know, but also, um, you know, also like just be truthful to our communities and stuff. And, um, it was scary as shit when it first came out, like there was backlash. It was like, um, most of it was love. It doesn't matter if it's negative or positive. It's all just feels weird. You feel exposed. Uh, the anxiety's bad. Um, and then you're grateful at the same time. So it's a weird feeling. And you just hope that you get another, you get an opportunity to make more of it, mm -hmm. um, which happened. So that was, you know, it was good, but it was crazy. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, when I talked to Sterling about this whole, what we're doing here, I said, I asked him what he wanted to talk about. And he, he specifically told me, you specifically told me, uh, let's talk about doing Hollywood in a different way. Let's talk right. about, about what it means to bring community with you when you do these projects and help Ryan pay his light bill, you know? Right. And, um, <laughs> I have many lights. <laughs> He's a photographer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, I think it really pushes back against what we're taught in white American society, mm. right? Like individualism. Individualism, right? That right. we should, once, once we make it, you know, and find the American dream and success uh, that we earned it. And and this idea, like, maybe we got there on our own. Right. And you didn't do that. You did something else entirely. And yeah, we I talk mean, about how, how did you do that? And was it conscious? I just, I don't know. Like, I think I was raised right. I think it starts there. I think that I was, I was raised as a part of a community. You know, my mom, everywhere that I went, my mom would drag me along to, like, every Native event. And my dad never liked to go anywhere, but my mom would drag me along. And every time we'd walk in a room, she'd make me shake everyone's hand. So I was like that kid. And then um, she would tell me who every one of my cousins and like I was basically cousins with everybody all over that I ever met was my cousin somehow. And I was so I got so sick of that. Uh, but it was so good for me and it just did something like whatever it is, it's in my DNA. And like, I'm grateful that she did that. Um, everywhere I go now, those people know me, you know, and like, they're my community and it's just kind of a building blocks of community. It's like, that's my community. Well, then I made that community bigger when I went into Tulsa and then there's like the native film community and then there's this and then there's that. And it's like, I just never have seen it any other way. Like there's no way that I wouldn't hire all of the people that are on my show, they're all talented. And Taika helped give me an opportunity. And I wanted, and the best thing about the show is giving people opportunity that haven't had it before. Because in Hollywood, there's a real bullshit like hierarchy of, um, like it's all fake. Like all of it's fake. Like TV directing isn't special. Like you don't have to be a rocket scientist to do it. You just need to be a good director. Um, so for a long time, they wouldn't let people in to direct those episodes. I mean, right before I made Reservation Dogs, I'd only directed one episode of TV. And it was for a show called The Magicians. And the only reason I got to shoot that, after making five feature films, the only reason I got to shoot that or direct that is because a friend of mine, Chris Fisher, uh, pushed for me. He was a producer on it. And he pushed so hard and it took him two seasons before they would allow me to direct an episode. Um, 
And FX is really good about letting you try things. And a lot of reasons is because of Atlanta and things like shows like that, where they had an all African-American writing, um, writer's room. Um, and so they allowed me to do everything. And it's like, and it's like, I don't know, FX recognizes that they don't have the answers, but they can provide the support in the space to let you do that. And so whenever I asked for all, all native writers room, they just like, there was never a question. When I asked for all native directors, there was never a question. Um, and that's my favorite part of the doing the show, you know, it's just like giving people jobs and like, you know, like Tazba, Ryan, Black Horse, uh, Sydney Freeland, all these people are like so talented, Dennis Goulet, this year, like all these people are so talented, they just have never got an opportunity to direct TV. So I get the, I get the, my job is to give them the opportunity um, and it makes the show better. So it's all Hollywood is they're lying. <laughs> like, it's not. It's not as uh, like you can do it. You just have to give people opportunity. People just need opportunity. That's it. Hmm. Ryan, do you want to talk about the that topic about relationality, being in relationship with Sterling, this powerful relationship you two have? <laughs> it is powerful. It's so powerful. <laughs> And also, like, what it feels like to be a part of a project like that where everyone's native oh, and, like... It's it's awesome. Like, one of the... I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it, is that one of the most beautiful things is that um, my kids think it's normal. Yes. Right? They think it's normal, and um, they watch the show on TV. We watch Rutherford Falls. We watch other shows. And they now, like, they see people that they've known and interacted with in their little mm -hmm. blessed lives. And, and like, mm -hmm. that's, like, one of the most beautiful beautiful things and like what sterling said with the opportunities i think like one of the things that you can one of the best things you can do for somebody is like give them an opportunity to fail and a lot of the people that are on the show had never even been given an opportunity to fail let alone mm -hmm. been resourced to succeed and you know the writer's room is like that it's just our own people and uh everybody that's on the crew a lot of people that are on the crew worked on my short film as well it's just like a little family, a little community, and it's just awesome to see everybody that's there knows like how precious it is, and they really like from the top down, I feel like they really show up in like a way that maybe people don't show up out here. It's like a type of love that they have for the project that really comes through through every single aspect of it, and it makes it makes the process beautiful. It's like I mean. I don't know. I don't have a lot of experience on a lot of other TV shows, but Maybe. this one feels and behaves differently from the limited amount of other sets that I've been able to be on. And I don't know how you like, I mean, part of that's because Sterling's the one that's overseeing it, but part of it just comes up organically because he's put these people that are community, they were already community before there mm -hmm. was even film there. And now these people have just moved into mm -hmm. this space. And it makes like just a really wonderful, like beautiful kind of extended family. Mm -hmm. And that comes out in the show. The relationality of the show comes out in the way the show's done. And I don't, I don't know if there's a, I'm sure there's another way to do it, but there's this, this way. And this way seems right. to work like really, really wonderfully. And part of it is I, di I didn't work on TV either. So like I just could do it however I wanted. They just gave me the keys to this thing. They were like, <laughs> all right, you're a showrunner now. And I was like Googling showrunner. <laughs> and then like, uh, I remember calling Sierra, like Rutherford Falls had just shot their, their season. And I was starting my season, which we'd already shot 
the pilot before Rutherford Falls, but then Rutherford Falls made their season. So then I was going in to shoot the rest of the seasons and I called Sierra and I was like, like, am I supposed to be holding meetings? Like, <laughs> like what do I do? Like, am I supposed to like meet people about stuff? Like, are we supposed to talk about things? <laughs> like, I had no idea, you know? And I think there was a lot of good out of, that came with that because I was just able to do it however I wanted to do it. Um, I don't know, like, I mean, like, here's an example. The writer's room, season three, spoiler alert. There's going to be an origin of the Dear Lady episode. Ooh. And so, you know, it's like, it all takes place at a boarding school in the, in the early 1900s. Damn. And we're all in there telling these stories of our family that we heard from boarding schools. And it gets heavy. It gets deep. And you're sharing photos. And it's like... You know, it's like somebody pulls out, you know, somebody starts burning some some cedar or something, you know, and it's like because <laughs> uh, it gets like really heavy and deep and everyone's pulling from their own life from every episode. And most of it is like pulling from my life, but then everyone else adds to that. Um, like every episode, I can tell you multiple things that are just straight from reality. So like, it's not just like us inventing stuff with our brain. It's taking the lo our lives and the stories that we heard and like mining them to tell this one story, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and sometimes, Even the it's, catfish heavy, and sometimes it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, catfish f is, um, <laughs> Could you was, please give context? <laughs> Dr. King? That was one of my Dr. Favorites. King, how do you... Dr. King, could you please like, set this up? Dr. King, would you that talk up? about no, this? Go ahead, go ahead, Dr. King. There's Dr. King, oh, you, you, have, a, you have a whole fine. unit at your it's college fine. on catfish f***ing <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, ignore that. Keep going. That was beautiful. I interrupted a beautiful thought with something less beautiful. <laughs> so anyway, we were talking about boarding schools and our family <laughs> and love and how deep it all is. No, I'm uh, you right should now. talk to your therapist about <laughs> what just happened there. Are here. Are right there. <laughs> yeah. uh, mom, dad, let me. Uh, mom and dad will you need a parent lock on her uh, remote control. <laughs> if you, if you refer to season two, <laughs> well, at least you didn't scene. show it, you know, all the way. Oh well, yeah. Thank. I mean, we have some. We've got <laughs> some, some decorum. Yeah. <laughs> A story about episode nine where Willie Jack goes to uh, jail to visit their friend Daniel's mom. Um, Migazy wrote it. I kind of came up with the concept. Our, this episode that we were going to do wasn't working. And I was like, I could just tell when an episode isn't working. And finally, I was like, you know, we got to figure something else out. So we were like, sit down. We're trying to think of stuff. So I was like, all right, what if they, she goes to visit Daniel's mom in jail? And then we just came up with it. And I was like, um, and I was thinking of my uncle, who my first, one of my first memories is seeing him in jail in McAllister in Oklahoma. One of the first words I used to say was jail. Um, they would say, where's your uncle Marty? And I'd say jail. And like, there's a photo of me saying jail. 
And he was in and out of jail my whole life. But not one person in this world that knew him would say he was a bad person. Mm-hmm. And he was in jail his whole life, in and out. But everyone would say, Marty was the best. Like, how cool was that dude? He was so funny. He was hilarious. And so what does that say? Like, we're locking up sometimes, like, our most gifted or special people that just probably needed some sort of guidance or different direction or something. Um, I remember one time he got out of jail. We were having a kind of a dinner for him, and he was sneaking off and drinking, like, beer off to the side. I was joining him over there, and he was like, he, he'd been in jail and this is like, as I would like started doing film stuff and my mom would send him articles. He was like, uh, yeah, I'm really proud of what you're doing. That's really cool. And, and he said, um, you know who my favorite filmmaker is? And this, I, I didn't even know he watched a movie, much less <laughs> had a favorite filmmaker. You know, he's like, you know who my favorite filmmaker is? And I was like, who? And he was like, Steven Spielberg. I was like, like really like like yeah cool and he just like went into like how steven spielberg created a world that was from his vision and his brain and like he loved that about steven spielberg's movies and i just like thought like about how strange that was that i I, like i would have never thought but like he had all this time in jail and he read a lot and he um uh you know watched movies so we're shooting this episode love my uncle marty it's it's great um i was like by the monitor, I think Britt and my dad were near there. And my dad comes up to me as we're about to shoot this really emotional scene with Willie Jack. He comes up to me and he's like, your uncle Marty just died. (gasps) And like, so like you kind of like, like the show feels like we're not making a TV show for me. Like the the show feels like it's um, pulling from our lives and doing something that hasn't been done before trying to like manifest like, or like trying to like, I don't know, like it, it's not lost on any of us how important the work is or how much impact it's having on kids or people from our communities. Um, and part of that is because we're pulling it from our lives. We're pulling it from pain. We're pulling it from humorous situations from our lives. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that, uh, we pull from. And I think that's what makes it special. There's one, uh, in the, in, in scene, an episode that I wrote with Devery Jacobs called Maple. It's about Laura Dannon's, uh, grandma and she's passing and they're all at the house sort of gathered. Dana Scule directed it. Here's an example of just some truth that goes into it. But like, there's a moment where uh, big walks in, he's got a squash uh, in his <laughs> hand and he hands it to Willie Jack. And she's like, fuck am I supposed to do with this? And she's, and he's like, I don't know, cook it up, shit, it's organic, and he walks off. Um, That came straight from this guy. Uh, My grandma was passing away, and that episode's based on that, what happened with my grandma. Literally the same things. Uh, I have cousins call me all the time. Like, they'd had a couple drinks, and they're, like, crying, and they're like, it's just what happened to grandma, you know? Like, it's, like, Mm -hmm. exactly what happened. Um, But Ryan came to sort of pay his respects to my grandma, and he'd only heard stories about my uncle Junior, who's who big the cop is kind of based on. Uh, he'd only heard stories about him, but knew enough stories and seen enough photos that he knew what he looked like and who he was. And my uncle Junior was really paranoid about like medicine. Anywhere he went, somebody was putting some spell on him or something, or like <laughs> he had something to thwart the medicine that was coming at him, you know. 
I mean, like we would be at a Tulsa, like a restaurant, a hipster restaurant, and like the the guy'd come up with a plate to hand us our plates, whistling, and he'd be like waving his plate off and like staring the guy down or like whatever. <laughs> like super, super paranoid about like medicine. And um, so I saw Ryan pull up at my grandma's. He's paying his respects to my uh, my grandma, and everyone's inside. And my uncle Junior's in the in, sitting, kind of holding court in the front room. And I went outside to kind of greet Ryan, and I see he's got this giant squash. I've never seen a squash that big, first of all. It's a gashaw squash. Gashaw squash. It was, giant, it was like Osage size squash. So Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan comes out with this giant squash in his car. And I was like, what the hell? And so like, he's walking out. I was like, all right, when you walk in, I was like, Uncle Junior is going to be right across from the door, sitting there. He's talking to everybody. I was like, so Ryan, when you come in, just like walk it over to him, <laughs> hand it to him without saying a word and walk off. He's like, all right, all right, all right. So like we go, Ryan goes in. I go in first and then Ryan comes in a little bit later, walks in, hands that squash. Just my And my uncle's like mid-story and like turns and like Ryan just comes with this big squash and like puts his hands out. He grabs it. And then Ryan kind of does this and walks away. Gave him a little hand sign and went. With that walks away. Ryan's going to like talk to people that and I he just walk right out the door. Yeah, and then like I'm sitting there and he's just and, he, and then like he just like leaned over to someone. He's like, "Why do you think that white man put that gave me that squash?" <laughs> he asked if I was a ghost. Anybody else see that white ghost? <laughs> oh man! So it's an example. Ryan, you wrote, uh, you're writing for this season? Yeah. yeah That's I'm exciting. Writing. It's awesome. Uh, one of the things that Sterling said when we were writing in season two was at the very beginning of the room, he says, he said, uh, we ain't making TV. We ain't making a TV show. Mm-hmm. And I, I still believe that. Like he was saying, when we're in that room, everybody's talk, telling their stories, the hilarious stuff that happened to him, the bad stuff that happened to him. And all that's like, it just gets drudged up and like pressed into the form of the show and the show itself. Like I said, I don't know how other TV shows work, but I imagine in my brain, they just go, well, we're just making stuff up. And like, I don't feel like this show, I mean, we are making stuff up, but so much of it's just our lives that are, so it's, it is that truth that comes in and it's just like verbatim. Like some stuff just comes in like, copied and pasted from our own lives yeah i mean it'll be painful stuff i mean like even ryan like talking about you know something that you probably see next season is like or you won't you know but it helps us get to some place that we got to you know and it's like ryan will talk about his mom who passed away you know um and they'll give us something that happened to him in that scenario and then we'll apply it to a character a laura dannon or whatever and then all of a sudden that shifts into something else and it's all just about like telling stories it's about telling stories and then grabbing what we can to like bring it into this story. And I think that that is what people feel that really like the show. Like they feel that, you know, they feel that, uh, the truthfulness in it. Hmm. It's also, it's also really validating too, because you have, you know, like I'm 43 now and like, I've had like a, I've lived a crazy life and like there's a bunch of stuff. See his leg right here. It's stiff. It don't yeah. move. Yeah. I walked in like that. Just stuck. Now that my head exploding head syndrome, I just stuck like that. Now he's got stuck foot I'm have, syndrome. I'm going to have a tough time on the airplane back home. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I, you live like, like crazy stuff happens to you, like traumatic stuff, hilarious stuff. 
And like when it gets pressed into the show and then you just see how people connect with the show, like in a backwards type of way, it's like, well, okay, well, you know, that wasn't for nothing. That horrible thing that right, happened to me. Right, exactly. And and like, I mean, the room is like, has a really, sometimes like really, really dark humor. Some people will say some of the most horrible, like worst things yeah. humans can do to one another. And like, you sit there for a second and somebody will crack a joke <laughs> about it. And then like, that's your whole, your whole trauma life has been like converted into a punchline in a matter of like five seconds. And you just have to like acclimate to that or you don't or whatever, but you, it's like, that's the way that the room operates and it grinds out like really beautiful stories because all the stuff that's happening there, like other people have gone through it and they went through it in a similar way Mm -hmm. that you did, whether you know it or not. Mm -hmm. We don't know that. We're just like, this is what happened to us. Here's how we thought about it. That kind of stuff. And then it comes out like in a really beautiful, um, meaningful way. Like I remember when we were, when you guys were shooting season one, I was doing the behind the scenes and I just remember like being on set and like watching this and I pulled you aside and I pulled Migazy aside and I was like, man, I don't know if this is going to work, but it's too late now. Like it's already going to be made. And once it's made, it can't be unmade. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's like, we were just sitting there doing what we had been doing for years, Mm -hmm. not getting no money or nothing for it. And all of a sudden now we're like getting paid to do it. It's Mm -hmm. a, you know, also like your parents and your responsible uncles are like, well, I quit messing around, you know, and now it's like you get paid to mess around. Welcome back from the break, friends. At this point in the conversation, we open it up to the live audience. Unfortunately, the live audience didn't have a microphone. <laughs> so Dr. Keen here is going to paraphrase those questions for you. Thanks, Adrian. <laughs> the first audience question was, I just wanted to ask a little bit about when you were doing your writing for the 1491s and the support you got from community and relations and what that was like. Because to see that for the first time, it was shocking and exciting and really great to watch. What was that like for you and your family and community? Yeah, it was good. I mean, everybody loved it. Um, I've been a part of situations where I felt like something was shifting a couple of times now. And I I think I'm lucky. And also have not been afraid to fail. And I think that's the key ingredients to why I've been involved in that. And one was the 1491s when we made the Wolfpack auditions. And we made that. And there was just this feeling that like something was changing in the world. Like something that we were doing was altering something. And there was going to be some sort of butterfly effect that happened from that. And... 
when Ryan and I left, we were up in Minnesota filming with the rest of those guys that episode. It was the first time they did. We left and we were driving home to Oklahoma. And I remember us just, it was like we'd smoked a giant joint. Like Ryan's never smoked a joint, but I'm I imagine him. it was like this. <laughs> yeah. And it was like we were high and like it felt so good. And it was like, we really did talk about this. We were like, whatever just happened, like, I don't know if anyone's going to like it. But that was like the one of the most amazing experiences ever, creatively and everything. I've never laughed so freaking hard in yeah. my life. I mean, it was just like, I think my face hurt yeah. for the next day. My stomach yeah. hurt. And and because, you know, being supported by a community, uh, we drove up there. And then we drove, <laughs> we were driving back. <laughs> it's 12 hours back to Oklahoma. Yeah. And uh, it was um, it was like one of those magical things. And I remember... Um, one of the uh, revered elders, like nationally revered elders from my own community, after oh, we yeah. after we released that video, uh, Wilson pipes him. Oh. Call him out, <laughs> Uncle. Say Wilson. his name, Wilson. <laughs> Wilson freaking pipes him. Called me up after that, like the day after that video went up, because it, it went everywhere. Uh, the day after it went up, he goes, Ryan, 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 Ryan. <laughs> And like you don't ever want to disappoint Wilson. Right. Like he's done so his much for me. His hair is too good. His hair is perfect. <laughs> he lives like a perfect life. He's like the, he's like the quintessential archetype of like every Indian man that you'd ever hope to be. Yeah. He's an attorney. He's an attorney. He's got like great. He hair. ran college track. He's like a phenomenal <laughs> specimen of a man. And like you don't want to disappoint him. Uh, Wilson was like Ryan, 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 Ryan. Some things can't be undone once they're done. By the way, he loves reservation dogs yeah. now. Also loved the 1491s after that. Said, so we showed I, him. Yeah. I said uh-huh. I, I said I'll be all right. I think I'll be all right, uncle. And yeah. Can you just tell him what the Wolfpack is? Yeah, I was just going to say like, tell him what New Moon Wolfpack audition was a spoof that we did. It's the first video we did for this comedy group 1491s. The the movie Twilight uh New Moon was coming out. And there were native werewolves, and we were like, what would the audition process be like? And I mean, like, it's exactly what we're doing. I mean, like, there's a outtakes of Ryan um, as they're, like, waiting in the lobby, and he's rubbing himself down with baby oil, like, all over his body. Sterling's idea. I'm just going to interrupt this for a second. Just play a little bit of this for you here. Um, have, you, have you had any acting experience? Um, no, not really. Uh, I was in a I was in a play in uh, seventh grade, uh, Treasure Island. Yeah, I was in uh, uh, the most recent. Maybe that would um, have something to do with this movie. I was in New World. Uh, oh, yes, I'm I'm Indian. Okay. In the back, I, when the um, the Spanish come on and like you know, got every we had a real like kind of innocence to us, right? And uh, I was able to portray that pretty accurately. Before we start, yeah. may, may I ask you turn that off because in our way. That, that that thing you have there, that machine, may take my soul. Uh, no, we can't because this is an audition. I get mistaken on the street a lot for a Jaguar Paw from Apocalyptico. You know, that movie. But it may take my soul, and I do not want that. I can well, never go back to my people. You won't get the part if we got to turn this off because we have to show the director this. Film away. Okay. Oh.
And that's literally <laughs> from my life. I, me and my dad went to audition for like uh, extras as like, uh, I don't know, uh, I think it might have been um, Last of the Mohicans or something like that. I was young. And, you know, my dad's got naturally curly hair. I had a perm at the time. <laughs> And uh, my mom was a hairdresser, so she permed my hair, had sprayed sun in in my hair. So, like, I had an orange perm. I We both had, like, Hawaiian shirts on. And like, we show up, like, not looking the part that they were looking for at all. And, I mean, maybe this all, like, affected me and, like, has, has like, made me who I am in the show and, like, what I want to do. But, like, I, we're just sitting there. And I remember, like, me and my dad, like, really uncomfortable. My mom made us do this. And we're just like, oh, this is not, like, this ain't working. Like, and I remember looking over and there's a guy with like a choker on, like your classic native, long, beautiful, flowing <laughs> hair, you know, like look like a, you know, wooden nickel, you know, like, and, and he had this like this choker on, no shirt on. And he was rubbing him. He was rubbing his body down with uh, uh, baby oil. And he was doing pushups and he was talking about all the movies that he'd been a part of or whatever. And me and my dad are just like, God, we suck. <laughs> Um, we did not. We did not get a call back. But like, you know, it's an example of like taking real life and putting it into that episode or but that like, show. That but video. like when I when I met Sterling, like we were just like bullshit around, and then uh, I told him a crazy story, and then he was in oh, yeah. right before he was Tell making that story. Oh, you want me to let that whole cat out yeah, of the bag? Good, yeah. All right. This, <laughs> all right. This is some. This is some tea. Spill the tea. This is some tea. So back in back when I was at the University of Kansas, I did a student film on the Haskell Baker Wetlands, which is a wetlands is right behind Haskell, and uh, I got into the Haskell Film Festival. It was a two day film festival, and on one of the nights, like West Duty had a feature, and on another night, Gary Farmer had a feature. My little like dinky podunk <laughs> short film was like before Gary Farmer's, and this is like because I'm old as hell. This is like two years after Smoke Signals, maybe like three years after Smoke Signals. So Gary Farmer is like the man. And I was like so hyped because Powell Highway was like one of my favorite movies ever. I'm like, I'm going to meet Gary Farmer. I'm going to meet Gary Farmer. I'm going to meet Gary Farmer. I walk up to the Haskell uh, Auditorium and uh, Gary Farmer's like walking out. And he's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt and his hair is like all crazy. He looks like he's been out all night like partying. And I'm like, God dang, he looks rough. My hero looks rough. Probably just had the flu. Or probably, probably had the flu. Yeah, I'm sure he had the flu. And uh, so they, he was the guest of honor. So they called us all over to the, um, the cafeteria. And um, he's the guest of honor, so they ask him to pray, and everybody puts their head down. <laughs> and he starts. Well, mind you, they've all seen him naked at they, this point. Yeah, it's fine. All see, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody's bowed their head, and they ask Gary Farmer to pray. And I close my eyes, and all of a sudden, I hear, Creator, <laughs> want you to bless this food, the nourishment of our bodies. And I was like, oh, my God, he sounds just like the drunk dad from Smoke Signals. <laughs> and I opened one of my eyes, and I looked over there, and Gary Farmer had his hand up like this, and his hand was over his heart, and he's really, like, just waving it back and forth. Praising the Lord. Praising the Lord Jesus Christ on everything. And I was, I was like, trying not to look at him and laughing. Everybody else has their eyes closed. I'm the only one that saw this. And uh, when I met Sterling, the first night I met Sterling, I told him that story. And and then like three months later he's like, Hey Ryan, you wanna be in a movie? And I was like, Uh what? And he wrote it into the script 
Uh, Ryan prays like that. Into Barking Waters. <laughs> and I ended up doing that. And uh, that's how we ended up traveling around. And, and um, yeah, that's. Ryan tells a story too about comedy, like, show, like realizing that comedy was like. Uh, Kind of something that could change everything oh, yeah. because of that scene because it's a very dramatic movie, but we have this funny scene. I mean, the whole movie's funny. If it's a room full of Indians, they all laugh. Like I w- it played an imaginative one time, and it's about a guy dying, <laughs> and um, we played an imaginative, and you would have thought it was like Dumb and Dumber or something, you know, with how many everybody was laughing at it. But like non-native audiences, it's a bunch of tears. It's just crying. You screened it in Italy too, didn't you? Yeah, in Italy they didn't even understand any of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the subtle native humor does not translate uh, like there's a moment where in Ryan's scene he says keen and he gives which is like kind of Oklahoma slang like started their boarding school but it's like keen you know like this is good and Ryan says that and gives the main character like dabs or whatever and translated to Italian I said fantastico <laughs> That going around with that movie was like really uh, like transitional moment for me because like like Sterling said I got to watch it screened it in front of like Indians got to screen it it's screened in front of non Indians and like that scene that I'm in like could have been cut out and the movie would have been <laughs> totally fine totally fine totally fine but it was in there and so when I went to screenings I followed them around with those screenings I would like go into the theater and like stand over there on the side. And instead of like looking at myself on the screen, because I didn't really want to do that, I like turned around and and None of us do. yeah, and I was watching the crowd and like the Indian crowds in particular, like it would get to that scene and just watching like three or four hundred Indians like bust out laughing was like the most powerful thing, and it completely changed like how I wanted to spend my energy making anything because I was like. Holy shit! That is that is that's so amazing. It was like to this day, like I still get a high out of it. It's just like it's nothing more powerful than hearing like four hundred Indians laugh their ass off like all at once. It was like so beautiful and like such a different way to spend energy. Because when we were traveling around those film festivals, a lot of those other films were like really sad and slow and sad. Slow and sad and. It's just hard to bear that type. You can't, it's like, that's not sustainable. And it's also, that's a result of like, who's holding the money and who's approving what projects get made. Like what Sterling was saying at the beginning, just wanting to make comedy because it's more indicative of our community experience. Mm-hmm. And like, after traveling around with Barking Waters, like 1491s, I felt like was an inevitability mm-hmm. because it was, you know, we're tired of this and we're just like, yanking on the steering wheel trying to like make dick jokes just want to make indigenous dick jokes like and get paid for it and that's my life now (laughs) (laughs) he knows (laughs) hello i just want to ask like how does it feel to be here today after all you've achieved and how do you feel about your work and where do you see yourself in the future always end it with a good one um, how do I feel here being here? Um, I mean, it feels really good to be where I'm at. You also like, I don't know, like it's not lost on me that, uh, the show has changed a lot of things and that's really cool, but also you have to keep it in perspective and not let it like, like, I can't sit around and think about that all day, you know, like I have other work to do. Um, 
and you know like right now like working on an adaptation of uh like power highway as a tv show or like you know doing a post-apocalyptic show that i'm working on or like um you know there's another comedy there's so much that i want to do that um i don't know like i there's just so much work to do that um, I can't think about it too much. So really happy to be here. And in the future, I just want to be able to keep creating these shows, but also like helping, like part of my job right now through FX is to bring them shows from other creators. Mm -hmm. So just sold a show for that. I'm, that I'll be an executive producer on probably direct the pilot uh, sold a show for Andrew McLean, uh, mm -hmm. who's the Alaska native uh, yeah. filmmaker. Um, another filmmaker who made the film. What is that? Uh, I'm not going to bring it up because uh, I can't remember the title of the film, but I'm um, uh, selling a show for her that is happening at FX. So it's like all these shows are going to be um, I'm bringing into FX to like help develop and then kind of like give them their career mm -hmm. like Taika helped with me, you know, so like that's my favorite thing is being a producer and like bringing other people's projects in and helping them get them going, you know. Um, but the future wise, it seems like it's going to like everything's changed. I mean, everyone like everyone that has a native project that's native and rights, like has an opportunity right now to get them made. So super exciting. Um, I mean, we're in California right now, but I'm, I'm excited now about the possibility of like being able to do this without leaving Oklahoma. Yeah. And um, like, I live in my community of 3,500 people. I'm building a house on, you're welcome. My village thinks to Sterling. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally gave him a blanket when he was out there. He came to eat at our ceremony and I was like, dude, you're helping me. He like first helped I'm me. I'm getting a lot of blankets these days. Yeah. That's yeah. why I he did deserves this. it. He deserves That's why it. I did this. <laughs> yeah. He uh he he helped, last season it helped me tear down the my grandparents' house that was there, and now I've got the resources to build. And it's that's important because uh the house is on trust land and I can't finance it. I can't get help from a bank. It's just got to be cash build. And so like literally like building a home, like Reservation Dogs is building a home that uh, my daughters will inherit. Mm -hmm. And like it's on the site. Matika's been there. It's like that's where we dress for ceremony. That's like my grandparents bought that or was on that lot assignment back in the 1930s. And before that, you know, this is where our Osages were moved in the 1870s. Like, our family's been there. They're literally called Red Corn Road. Like, the road is called Red Corn Road. A lot of potholes. What, yeah, a lot of potholes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> need this, needed to go. Needs a couple, little work. Need, <laughs> need, need this show to go, like, four or five more seasons so I can get them potholes. <laughs> um, but I'm most excited about that because it allows me to, I, I get to live in my community. My kids get to go to the Osage Immersion School. I get I sit on our cultural committees. I like I'm embedded into the community in a way that would never be possible with almost any other way. There's no way. Like I remember even I had to live away from the res for a long time and I remember talking about like wanting to move back and wanting to move back and even my own close family members were like there's there's no jobs like there's no point like why would you do that and um you know now you just grind it out you just make it happen 
Like if you want something to happen, you have to, even if it sucks for a long time, if you're just like, if that's what you believe in and that's what's meaningful, like you just stick to it. Well, thank you so much for being here, gentlemen. Thank you. <laughs> so proud of y'all. Like, thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> thank you to all of you for sticking with us today, for being a part of this like amazing, amazing uh-huh. event. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so thank much. You. And KP's going to play us out. Thank you so much, everybody. Wado, mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> Well, folks, that's all we have for you today. Huge thank yous to Santa Monica College and everyone there who made this possible. Thank you to the AMR team, Jonathan Stein, Max Levin, Teo Schantz, Lindsay Hightower, Darian Camarillo, and Charlie Stavish. Major shout out to KP of Black Belt Eagle Scout for being our live music for the event, to Sierra Sana for the episode artwork, and to the 1491s for letting us use the clip from their original sketch, New Moon Wolfpack Audition. If you want to support the podcast, remember you can sign up on Patreon, which we appreciate so much. It makes everything possible. Or, you know, you can even just write us a review on iTunes to balance out some of the weird reviews. (laughs) We'll be back soon with more content from this event for you next week. Also, quick note that Matika's book, Project 562, Changing the Way We See Native America, is available for pre-order and comes out on April 25th. You can find it wherever you buy your books. You can also buy my book, too. It's called Notable Native People. (laughs) It's been out for like a year, but it's there, and you can totally buy it if you want. Okay, love you, bye.